Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone. You can have a seat. We're really, really grateful that you've decided to be with us. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Dominic and uh, the leader here, I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks, bro. And, uh, and it's just good to be back. I was away last week. I actually was visiting a church in Toronto. If anyone's watching from there, just nice to have you with us online. But I was with a partner church of ours. And actually, some of you don't know this, but so much of the 180 happens because of many of you who are giving generously, you're praying, you're serving. And also, there's other partner churches that help us as well. They care about what's happening in Quebec. Some, some of them are helping us, and they've never even been here. They're like, le Quebec, who wants that? But anyway, they're helping us. And as people are helping us, we're always praying as a church about how we can continue to help others. So I just want to give you a little update as you're thinking about your giving and your generosity at the end of this year, is that a few weeks ago, we as leaders, and especially our elders, We actually met this week, we were praying, we were thinking about the future, we were thinking about giving back. As some of you know, we gave you an update a little bit on what's happening in the Middle East. I know many of you are, you're like, what's happening in the Middle East? What's going on? I haven't seen anything. Yeah. Uh, like the complexity of a war that is confusing and painful. So just, I'll show you this image, but we are part of a family of churches called the Alliance Canada. So over 400 churches in Canada and many more in the U.S. and around the world. And, and our elders committed this week to send, beginning with $5,000 to the national office to continue to help with relief to what's happening in the Middle East. And that's possible because so many of you are partnering with us. You're thinking of year end and you're like, I want to be part of some solution that's going on. And this is kind of like global care, global relief. I know people who don't even believe in God who are like, I, I want the world to end. I, I care about this. And so I just want to say thank you. For many of you who are thinking about maybe helping or giving back or helping us, we're responding in this way. But also there's another initiative that we want to respond to. And to help you understand that initiative, I want you to look at the video that's on the screen. Take a look. Hi, everyone. I want to extend my heartfelt gratitude for your tremendous support and generous donations to the Jaffrey offering. As of November 29th, we have raised over $148,000 with donations still coming in. This means that 49 South Asian pastors will be trained, resulting in over 200 new churches over the next five years and nearly 10,000 people who have never encountered the message of Jesus before. Because of you and your giving, lives are being changed and people are encountering Jesus for the very first time. While we're unable to provide the final count until the books officially close next year, I assure you that every donation has been invaluable. Thank you so very much. In the coming year, we're committed to providing a comprehensive impact report that will detail the full scope and reach, not just of this year's Jaffrey offering, but the results of our combined efforts over these last years. This report will showcase the incredible difference your contributions have made and the lives that have been touched and transformed because of your support. Your personal dedication, 
your church's commitment to the Jaffrey offering is a true testament to the unity and compassion of our alliance as we serve together in our shared mission. Together, we are making a tangible and lasting You know, I hope you're encouraged to know that we're not only a church that cares about emergency issues around the world, and many of you know this, when somebody comes up to you, you see someone in need, you just give, you know, you react and you want to help, right? But then there's a kind of strategic giving. There's a kind of giving that's connected to what it means that we care to help people, but we also want them to understand that only Jesus can heal the deepest problems of our world. And that requires churches and pastors and leaders. And that kind of rings true to my heart. Maybe you're watching online and you don't know this, but when we planted this church, people were believing that Quebec needs new churches. And so our elders this week were committed to also send $5,000 that's going to go to the annual support of our Alliance family helping plant churches in Asia and other parts of the world. So I just want to say a huge thank you to you. If you're wondering about where giving goes or how our church responds to many, many needs, I just wanted to remind you and thank you in advance for how you're going to play your part with that. You know, this time of year is called Advent, and if some of you showed up at 11 on time when the service starts, some of you forget that sometimes, but if, uh, if some of you showed up on time, at the 9 o'clock I got them too, don't worry, you each get, you each get a little shot. Uh, Bethany talked about Advent. She talked about the reminder that Advent is this time where we're preparing and waiting and we're longing for the joy and we're getting closer and closer to Jesus coming. And maybe for you, Advent is a new idea. You've never heard about it. But at its core, Advent is about how we wait and how we pay attention to waiting and how there's some things that God is doing in your life and in my life and in our church and in the world that cannot be rushed. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but I saw this image this week, and I thought this kind of helps us understand Advent. How many of you are hungry? This image will help if you're hungry. You're going to be like, Dom, speed it up. I need to eat. But here's an image that for me captures Advent in a very simple way. Take a look at the screen. If you're listening on a podcast, catch it on YouTube. But this is a great reminder of what Advent means. I showed this to my wife, and she was like, what does that even mean? She's not going to make it. Whatever. But some of you maybe got it, right? That no matter how much you want to speed some things up, actually speeding them up makes them only worse. You can speed up cooking food, but if you don't give certain things the right time, they're never ready in the right way. And our culture is always about how do we speed up? How do we move ahead? I, I hate waiting. But some of the things that God is doing in that first Christmas story requires that we remember that God is not in a rush. God's pace is not the world's pace. God's pace is not our anxious nervousness about hear our prayers, do what we want. It takes nine months to have a baby and we're waiting for a baby. And it takes time and if you're a woman and you've carried a baby, you know that so many things are happening in your body and you're feeling that. And so this morning, I wanna take you back to moments in the Christmas story on that first Christmas where people are waiting and they're struggling and they have questions as we move closer to Christmas. And I have this pet peeve. Some of you know this about me. I shared it. I kind of really get really annoyed when people say Merry Christmas too early. You know, that some of you maybe Merry Christmas. I'm like, it's not Christmas yet. Slow it down. And somebody was bugging me in the last service. They're like, well, let's say Merry Christmas. I'm like, no, no, no. We're in Advent. We're waiting. We're moving. We're listening. We're watching. And all of us are being asked by God to be open again to what He wants to show us. This week as I was preparing and I was praying, I had this moment of conviction this year that I've never had before. As I've been waiting and I've been praying, I, some, I'm either studying in my office or I'm, I'm praying for you and I'm thinking about the future of our church. I'm thinking about all kinds of, I can't wait to have an 8 a.m. service and all of you come at 8 a.m. It's going to be great, right? So, hey, man, come on now. 
go, I, I'm feeling it. And I had this moment where God was kind of, kind of showing me something in my life that I need to deal with. And that was that this year in my waiting, I've been so distracted. That in my waiting, my heart is so restless. I'm thinking about this and that thing and my kids and the church and this. And I had this moment where God's like, why are you so distracted? Why are you worried about all these things? I don't know if maybe that's happened to you. Maybe in your waiting this year, God is showing you other things. God is maybe showing you that you're concerned about things that he's going to take care of. Maybe God is showing you that there's some things that you're going to ignore and you think they won't matter and they won't ruin your life, but they will if you don't address them. There's someone in that first Christmas story that's waiting. And he's waiting for something that's very special, actually. He's waiting to get married. Can't wait to get married. Actually, for years, he's been waiting to find just the right girl. Some of you maybe remember that, or just that right guy. You remember that moment. How do you do that? Swipe left, swipe right, whatever they do these days. Jesus didn't have to worry about that. He's waiting. And some of you maybe know the story. You know who I'm talking about. But this morning for our time together, I want us to look at a story in the Bible, a section of that first Christmas where we're going to spend some time with Joseph. Joseph has been waiting to marry the girl of his dreams. Her name is Mary. She's very, very special, probably arranged marriage. If you missed last week's sermon, Pastor Michael did a great job at telling you a bit of Mary's perspective on this. But today I want to spend some time and talk to you a little bit about Joseph's perspective. How hard it would have been for him to be like, this is not what I planned. This is not what I prayed for. This is not how I envisioned this to happen. And there's a writer in the Bible, his name is Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, you might not know this. But the Bible actually gives us two writers that really focus on the Christmas story. One of them, his name is Matthew, and the other one is Luke. And Matthew is the only one that really helps us to see a little bit from Joseph's perspective. And this is what Matthew says as he begins to tell us about what was happening in this waiting and in this doubting and in this kind of confusion. He says this, it's pretty profound. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they were intimate, before everything was signed off on, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Man, you see this, you're like, wow. This is Matthew's first kind of intro to the story for us. I don't know if you know this, but probably no manger scene and no Christmas story you read or watch will tell you lots about Matthew. But I want to tell you just a few things that I think will be important this Christmas for you to understand. It's very important that Matthew is telling us this story. It's Matthew who's telling us kind of what he was told and how he came to understand what happened on that first Christmas. If you know nothing about Matthew, I want to tell you this. So much of this matters because we live in a world where we don't believe when people tell us stuff, right? We have so many people that are suspicious. Either that's you or you know somebody. If I tell you, you know, this is what you should do with your car. You know, you have a problem with your car. There's a light on your car. This is what you should do. If I told you that, you'd say, what do you know about cars? Right? And I would tell you nothing. Don't ever listen to me when we talk about cars. Or you know somebody, you know, they never go to the doctor and you tell them you're hurting here and you're like, oh, a long time ago we used to put milk on that and mayonnaise and it gets fixed. You know, they tell you some random sketchy thing and you don't know how to tell them you're a psycho, right? You don't know how to say that. But embedded in our culture, it's in the soil. It's like, why would you believe anybody who says stuff? Matthew, what does Matthew know? Let me tell you about Matthew. Because if you know a bit of Matthew, you'll understand why it's so important that God picks him to tell us about Christmas. Matthew is a person who spent his whole life making money. He's a wheeler and a dealer. And I want to give you a list of some of the things Matthew is amazing at. He's like the top of the top. 
These are some of the things that Matthew's so good at doing. He's good at connections. He's good at networks. He's good at influence. He's good at manipulating. These are all the things that Matthew does. He can hustle. You know anybody like this? I know people in 2023 who've lost their whole lives following things like this. I know people who spend their whole lives chasing these things while they never talk to their kids. They never see their wife. This is all they want. You know who had this? Matthew. Matthew had all these things. He had all of these things going for him. And there's only one more thing you need to know about Matthew. That he's a rat. Everybody in the Bible hated Matthew because he was a tax collector. He was a tax collector and that meant he had found a way to manipulate the system that as a Jewish man, he could work for the Romans. He could work for the Romans and collect money and have his way and manipulate. It's like someone uh, who works at a school working with uh, unions and the government if, if ever there was a strike. Not that we deal with strikes here, but if there was one. Someone who was in the system and speaking to both sides and tricking things and at the end they were always ripped. How do they always make money? Everybody in the Bible hates people like Matthew. And God decides that maybe Matthew is the best person to tell people about the one who came. Because Matthew one day will meet Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when Matthew starts telling us about Christmas, he tells us something so important about a name for Jesus. You can go back to the slide just so you can see it. It tells us that when Jesus was coming, he was, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Can you turn to the person next to you and say the Messiah? If you're watching online, the Messiah. You're driving with someone, the Messiah. You're at the gym. Oh, this is great. The Messiah, whatever you do at the gym. Just remember the Messiah. Matthew tells us that Jesus was the Messiah because he knows that everybody in the ancient Roman world, especially the Romans, hated messiahs. They hated people messiahs. There were people who came before Jesus who were like, I'm the Messiah. The word Messiah means to be the anointed one. I'll just show you a picture of a screen. The word Messiah is a Hebrew word. It's exactly the same Greek word that we use in English, which is the Christ. Some of you are maybe like, oh, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. It's not. Okay? You're like, really? What? I thought that. It's not his last name. Okay? Just come to a Bible study. January's coming. Okay? Actually, Messiah, the Christ, Prince of Peace, they're all titles for Jesus. They all point to some things he's going to do. And at the core of them, Matthew says, when I saw Jesus, I realized that there was something about him that carried the anointing that was spoken about in the Hebrew prophets. The Hebrew prophets always talked about this, that one day when God begins to move, one will come, he will be the Messiah, and he will be anointed with the power of God. Just picture if I had a big jar of olive oil, and I was like pouring it on someone. Right? You'd, be like, you'd be like, that's the Messiah. We smell him a mile away. That's the one. The word anointing, Matthew wants us to understand, is connected from the beginning to Jesus and his birth. And as the Messiah comes, there's this moment where people are feeling, and especially the Romans, they're like, we have something we do when people think they're the Messiah. We kill them. We don't have time for messiahs. Messiahs are bad for the economy. They're bad for uproar. They're bad for picketing. They're bad for everything. And Joseph is about to be told that there's something about his life that God has seen, that God wants to begin to use to help the people who've stopped believing that God will ever send the Messiah that he's coming now. Remember, Matthew has stopped believing this. 
Matthew's walked far away from the story of Israel. He's walked far away from the teachings of God. He's a tax collector. And this is what we're told by Matthew at one point that happens next profound. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. It's such a profound thing that Matthew tells us. By the way, the only way Matthew knows this is Mary probably told him. That at one point, Matthew says Joseph was feeling the weight of this and and we're left with this tension in the culture that Matthew is learning that all of the power, all of the influence, all of the money, all the things he's so good at are not the things God is about to use to change the world. I know so many people who think that they can use the power of the world to heal the brokenness of the world. But at Christmas, we're called to surrender that. We're called to surrender that nothing of this world can heal the brokenness of this world. Nothing. And Matthew's like, I spent my whole life being so good at all the things in this world. And then the Messiah. This anointed one came and I wasn't sure. I was like, this can't be the guy. He's writing about this. And Joseph, let me tell you, that God would pick someone with no power, no networks, no money, no influence. Joseph. That God is about to use Joseph. Who not only doesn't want power, he doesn't even want it to be public that his wife is probably having an affair. Well, I know, like, we know the whole story and we're like, yeah, we sing the song. But Joseph is like, wait a second, Mary. You wanted to talk, what's up? Well, you know, like about the baby, I'm excited, our family, but I'm having a baby now. How is that possible? Well, it's God. It's God. It's God? Like, what do you mean it's God? And I could see Mary telling Joseph, I know, Joseph, but I love you. And Joseph thinking like, I I love you a lot, but not this much. There's one way out of this. I need to divorce you. I'm going to do it quietly. We don't know if Mary and Joseph talk about this. But I feel like just a weight of Joseph thinking like, what do I do? This is not how I planned this. It's easy to just get by Advent, right? Let's just get to Merry Christmas fast. Miss all this. Miss all the pain and the sacrifice and the waiting and the trusting God in this moment. Like I thought about this week as I was preparing. If Joseph called you and asked you for advice, what would you tell him? What would he say? He was like, let's go on Facebook and see who she's following. (laughs) Right? Some of you are like, I would say that. I got you. What would you say? If he called me, I'm like, Joseph, like, you've been faithful to the law. You've prayed. You've waited. You know what the law says about women who have children out of their wet. You know what the law says. Joseph would have known this. Maybe you don't. That a woman or man who acted inappropriately outside of their vows or their wedding were to be found, were to be brought to the community, and were to be stoned. Man and woman. Joseph is thinking about the law and he's thinking about preserving something. He doesn't want to like see rocks being thrown at Mary like this. Can't, how is this Christmas? What song have you heard that does this? Joseph knows that there's this tension that he feels in his heart is to figure out what to do. Matthew tells us that God picks a man and a woman and a community of no power, no influence and begins to do something that's about to change the world. Now, if you were also encouraging Joseph, you would not only tell him about the law, about Deuteronomy, about where it says that a woman has to be stoned and the man has to be stoned, you would also tell them about the prophets. Because when it says that Joseph was faithful to the law, it doesn't mean like he didn't get speeding tickets. 
It didn't mean he was just like, he followed the rules. It means he understood the ancient teachings of Israel. Joseph would also maybe be encouraged by reminding him something that the prophets said. That the prophets did say that a sign of God doing something new would be that God would start to ignore all the, the power of this world and begin to move in a beautiful way. The prophet Zechariah says this. Maybe you've heard this. It says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, says the prophet Zechariah. That when God starts to move, when God starts to do something that no one understands, that you want to get behind that because the anointed one called the what? The, the Messiah comes. It's not going to be by power. It's not going to be by the ways of this world. It's not going to be my manipulation. And Matthew says, you should know this, that Joseph was selected and he became one who started to teach everybody that God would use the powerless, the voiceless, the ones who had no influence to change the world because the problems of this world are never healed in the ways of this world. That when God comes, he doesn't just come with power and manipulation and all the things that we're tempted to want. He comes by the power of the Spirit in the humble, in the weak. I thought about my sermon title of what it means when power meets humility. And when power meets humility, you're usually with Mary or Joseph or Elizabeth and Zechariah. What do you want this year? Do you want this world to be healed? Do you want your home to be an example of what it's like when God enters your home and begins to heal people around you? Do you want to experience the joy and the hope and the peace that only God can give? I frame it this way. It's very, very simple. That this Christmas, we can all make a choice. This Christmas, you can have control or you can have change, but you can't have both. You decide. That this Christmas, we're reminded that we can long for power, we can long for more influence, we can long to do things the way the world does things, or we can say none of those things work. You know why? Because even God doesn't use those things. And Matthew's writing about this, and he's like, I know. Like, I, I wasted my whole life looking for all these things, and then I saw who? Messiah. He started to do some things that I never imagined. And this is what Matthew tells us next about this moment with Joseph. So beautiful. But after Joseph had considered this, he thought about called his friends, group chat, whatever. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because that is, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Oh, so beautiful. It makes sense for us more than it would have for Joseph. We, we do a teaching on the Holy Spirit. We have the whole scriptures. We piece it all together. And Joseph is like, what the Holy Spirit? Like, what is happening? This is not the way things are supposed to go. But I think it's helpful to have the Bible at the center of Christmas remind us that a man who just wanted to be married to a girl he loved has to deal with fear that he never anticipated. I don't know what 2024 has in store for you, but let me tell you, likely you're going to be anticipate, you're going to experience fear you did not anticipate. You're going to experience things in the new year that you cannot prepare for. And we will either be those people who, because of this story, have learned to surrender control, surrender power, surrender the ways of this world, to have change in our hearts, to have trust in the ways of God, to not be afraid no matter how unknown the next steps look. You think about what makes you afraid. It's hard, right? Fear, it's, it's for the kids. Oh, the kids, they're afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm a man. I grew up in a culture where men, you don't, you're not afraid. And if you're afraid, you don't tell anybody. You shake it off. Joseph, the angel, tells him, you're going to be afraid because this is scary stuff. You know, adults, I think, get most afraid maybe when people maybe compare them to other people. 
If you've ever met somebody whose kids are compared to some other kids, people get anxious and afraid and they're upset and they're nervous and they have all these emotions. I don't know what makes you afraid. Maybe for you, you know in the next few weeks you have a visit to a doctor. You have an appointment with a specialist. You're afraid. You're not sure what the results are going to be. You have a loved one that's sick. You think of your finances. You think of your job. You think like, what if I lose my job next year? What do I do then? You're afraid. Maybe like Joseph, we're being invited by God this year to not be afraid. That all the unknowns that await us, there's something about the way of Jesus and his humility and his strength and his peace that is available to us in those moments. In those unknown moments. You know who believed that? Matthew. Because Matthew's going to keep saying to us that this is, I got to tell you more about Joseph. This is an end. I got to tell you more because it was amazing. This is what he tells us next. It's so profound. That Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Maybe for you, you see this and you're like, Jesus, you know, if you watch soccer, like everybody, half of the people on the field are called Jesus. You know, like, you're like, you know how many Jesus people there were in the ancient world? How many people called their sons Jesus because the name Jesus means God will save? But Matthew says, the one that is coming from Mary is the one. The one that is anointed of God to save his people from their sins. Do you remember the first name I told you that Matthew called Jesus? Jesus is the what? He's the what? Okay, half of you still asleep. He's the what? He's the Messiah. If you're watching online, they're lost today. Don't worry about it. The Messiah. What does that mean? To be what? To be the anointed one. That's who Jesus is going to be. And all of a sudden, the angel says, hey, 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 Joseph, one more thing. You should know about this Messiah. He's going to do something that nobody in the Bible expected the Messiah to do. Joseph knows this. Matthew knows this. Everybody in the Bible knows this. The Messiah is anointed to win wars, but the Messiah has no authority to forgive people's sins. What do you mean this baby's going to deal with people's sins? For the first time, Joseph, Joseph will understand, this is not your regular Messiah. This is not just anointed one like David who's going to get us back our land. This is the one who's coming to heal us from the inside out so we never would be in this place to begin with. He's the Messiah, but he's also the one who's going to forgive the people their sins. Can I just pause for a second? And just give you a moment to think about this. Maybe you never thought about this before. And maybe you're like, oh, when do we get to a holy night or something? No, just, we're in Advent. Maybe you never thought about this. But who's writing this to us? Matthew. And I can't imagine in my mind that Matthew is writing these words. And as he's writing them to tell us the next generations about who Jesus was, he begins to cry because he's experienced what it's like to meet a Jesus who's forgiven his sins. He's met a Jesus who found him when he was a liar, a manipulator, somebody who could trick people, somebody who was violent and abusive, and Jesus saw him one day and said, Matthew, Matthew, are you happy with all the things of this world that you have? Are you happy with the influence and the money, the way you're able to manipulate a situation? Is that what you want? You've gotten all the things you've ever wanted. Are you happy? Some of you will get to get the best gifts this Christmas and you still won't be happy. I'll give you one hour after you open your gift. That's why you love kids so much. Because they make it look like they're still happy when they open their gifts. And you wish you had that. But you won't. Because the ways of this world will never heal the brokenness of this world. 
Matthew says, I was that person. I was a person who stopped believing in the Messiah and I stopped believing that sins mattered and then I met Jesus. And when he showed up, he spoke to me and led me and helped me to know that he was the only one who could forgive everything I had done. And you know what he did next? He asked me to follow him. That's what he did. The Messiah asked me to follow him. You see how beautiful it is that when it's time to tell us the Christmas story, Matthew told us the story. Matthew knows what it's like to feel this from the inside out in his bones. Matthew knew that people in our culture, people that you know would be like, yeah, yeah, the story. Yeah, you're Christmas. Yeah, you know the story. You believe him? You believe him? I meet a hundred people like that. You tell them a story already, they already don't believe you because they don't like your clothes. They don't like where you come from. Where do you live? Oh, people from there. Who knows? Matthew's like, I know. Hey, I know. I was a tax collector. I know. I lied to people. But when I met the Messiah, I understood that God was doing something new. And he was doing it in a way without power, without influence, without money, without networks. He took the things of this world and he laughed at them with the giggle of a baby. A giggling baby destroyed the powers of this world. Matthew's like, you want the power of this world? You can have control, you can have power, you can have change, but you can't have both. You decide. What do you want? And then it's not enough. The anointed one, like David, but more, God who's forgiving our sins. And then one more thing, one more thing the angel says. Matthew's like, this is crazy. When I tell you, it's going to be crazy. says this. This took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, written the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7. That not only is Jesus coming in the great anointing of David, forget that, not only is he now like the Messiah, wait, he doesn't forgive sins, but Jesus is more than that. Okay, he's going to do that too. The son who's going to be born to you is also God who's come to be with you. He's a God who didn't just send a messenger. He didn't just send a spirit. He didn't just send a feeling that you would be happy this season. He sent himself. He's coming to be with you. And every time I see this God with us, I feel like we live in a culture where like Walmart and Hallmark have hijacked all of these things. Because God with us is like, oh, I just feel nice, my hot cocoa, uh, fire play. No, no, God with us cost God everything. That he would have to come down and take on flesh Bleed, toothache, the brokenness of our world because the power of this world can never heal our world. Only someone who comes from somewhere else can do that. Matthew's like, I saw, I was there. I spent my whole life wasting my life on influence and networks and money. And then humility came. And it ruined everything. And Matthew said yes to following Jesus. No surprise that the Christmas story is shared not by Bob, by Skip, by someone, by Matthew. Let's get the worst guy. Let's get, find the worst guy. Have him tell the story. Tell, tell them. Matthew's like, surrender everything. The anointed one greater than David, one who's not supposed to forgive sins, this one will, and one who loved us so much that said, I'm not just going to send you a message, a text. I'm coming in the flesh. Not only so that you would be free, but that said you would have a person to see what it looks like when a human lives as a human, fully obedient to God, so that you can be like him. Do you want that this Christmas? This is what God is offering us this Christmas. 
And if you surrender, you can experience everything that Matthew experienced, everything that Joseph is learning, because it's not Christmas yet, it's Advent. So what are you waiting for? Years ago, I saw this movie. Some of you maybe heard of it. It's called Forrest Gump. Any of you ever watch Forrest Gump? It's like old school. My kids are like, that's for old people, and it is. So if you put your hand up, you're already downhill. Some of you are like, I love that. I hate it. I never saw it. Never saw it. Forrest Gump is this fascinating movie, and if you've never seen it, it's a really classic movie. And I, and I heard a story that I read a bit about a story of something really beautiful when they were making the movie that made me think about Christmas. There's a moment in the beginning of the movie before they actually begin to film the movie and make the movie that the director is wrestling with who will play Tom Hanks. He's the main character. Tom Hanks is this character. And they need somebody to play him as a baby, like as a child, because he, he gets older in the movie, right? So they need to find somebody who's young to get into Tom Hanks' age. And when they look at this cast, they have all these people. The director notices that one boy is going to be perfect, and then the boy starts to speak. And when he speaks, he speaks with this strange southern accent. And if you see a picture of it, this is what the director says. He says, for us to film this movie, he tells Tom Hanks, he says, you got to teach this boy how to speak. The young boy's name is Michael Humphreys. He's young Forrest Gump, and in the movie, he becomes old Forrest Gump is Tom Hanks. So imagine that in that meeting, they're in that moment, and they're trying to think about, like, to make this movie, like, this boy can't speak with this accent that's hard to understand, it's too southern, people are not going to go watch the movie, you can't always hear the, understand the words. So he turns to Tom Hanks and says, you know, like, you got to teach him how to speak like normal before we can make this movie. Well, how long that's going to take? And he's like, that's not going to work. And all of a sudden, Tom Hanks has this great idea. He says, instead of teaching this boy how to speak like me, what if I go live with him and I learn to speak like him? The director's like, come on, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I'll go spend some months and I'll live with him and I'll walk with him and I'll spend time in his town with his neighbors. And you could see ways how he's learning to say the right words with the right ending, the right, just so he'd be able. So the whole movie is going to be shaped by Tom Hanks deciding he's going to learn the language of a boy that they thought could never learn to speak. Do you know why Christmas, God, eternal one, is going to come and learn to speak our language? so that we would hear him say our name and we would understand that he loves us more than anyone in a language we could understand. That's what's about to happen. The Messiah, greater than David, one who's going to forgive our sins and one who's going to be God with us. Do you want that? This year, that's the invitation. And I'm so happy we're still waiting because it gives us time this week to get serious. And maybe for some of you, this is kind of new still. The story's brand new. You're linking it all together. But let me just tell you, Matthew, Matthew, he probably was like, you need to trust me on this. Don't waste one more minute of your life thinking that the problems of this world will be healed by the ways of this world. No power, no revenge, no influence, no money, are a match for that baby in the manger. When power meets humility, everything changes. What do you want? I'm going to have you stand and I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask you this week to do just two simple things. Just remember this. There's a lot of things you might do over the next few days, gifts, friends, family, but make it a priority to be with us next Sunday. And have your heart open to someone maybe that you know that you might invite. Or just say, hey, listen, you might be interested. We're just going to learn short service at our church. Sometimes you can be discouraged. You're not sure. 
If somebody will say yes, but even someone in my own family, just a few weeks ago, I encouraged them to just check out our church for the first time. And it was so encouraging, they showed up in the nine o'clock service this morning. So God will use you. If Matthew teaches us anything, that God has a way of using our story to help other people say yes to Jesus. God will use you. God is using Matthew still today to remind us that Jesus was the Messiah, the only one who can heal us of our sins. And to do that, he came to be God with us. I'm going to have you close your eyes and I'm going to read the last part of this passage and I'm going to pray for us. Listen to this. This is from Matthew, apostle of Jesus of Nazareth. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. Let's pray. Father, we're waiting. We thank you for your grace. You are so patient with us. This Advent, we ask you again to open our eyes to see how weak the ways of this world really are. We thank you for Matthew, whose life is a reminder that you can waste your life on all the wrong things, but the Messiah. Messiah. Jesus, you were anointed, and you were God, and we continue to look for the right ways to understand why you would love us. This week, as we prepare and as we plan, would you draw us again to prioritize what it would mean for us to surrender the power and control so that we can experience real change. Our world is depending on us to be the church The world is depending on us to see what it looks like when the power of this world can never heal the problems we face. So I pray for everyone in this room and everyone that's listening. I pray that you would help them to open up their hearts and their minds and begin to see a little bit about what Matthew saw. Begin to step into a new season even though they're afraid, but that they would see and know that you have such good things in store for us. Go with us now and the people see in us something different, Jesus, because you are transforming us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, everyone, if you're uh, maybe visiting or you have just a weight, you're carrying something, you'd like to pray with someone, we have just some people here in our prayer space that would love to pray for you. If you're watching online, we would love to see you in person next week, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Listen, this is the time of year where so many people have traditions. We live in a province where one tradition is the people stop going to church in Quebec. We're here to reverse that. We're here to reverse that. So we're going to see you next week. God bless everyone. Have a great day. See you soon.